Today's episode of Glue Guys is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. back to the glue guys this is mike here brian is not with me but who is is the athletics john hollinger who for seven seasons was the grizzlies vice president of basketball operations uh john of course is one of the leading minds around basketball you know he's a pioneer in basketball analytics per you see that referenced a lot he invented it what we did was john joined me for about 17 minutes or so, uh, partly because he and Alex Schiffer from The Athletic did this State of the Nets piece where they talk through the coaching search that the Nets are going through, possible free agent targets, and possible trade targets for the Nets. So I asked John to see if he could come on, and he did. Uh, A couple of things. One, if you want to actually read that article, go to theathletic.com slash glue, guys. You get 40% off an annual subscription. I'm telling you, Now it's time to do it. There's also a free 90-day trial going on. If you just Google that, you'll find it immediately at The Athletic. Free 90 days, no strings attached. So I would suggest you dive in because part of what you're going to hear is maybe about like 40% of the discussion that was actually in the article. So there's a lot more meat to that story. And John is doing these sort of analyses or analyses with many other writers. So coming up, you will hear John Hollinger talking about your Brooklyn Nets. So first, John, I kind of wanted you to explain just the basics of what you're doing, this series of stories where you're you're linking up with writers who cover, you know, specific teams in the NBA and then what you're trying to do sort of analyzing those teams. So what what the part of the reason why we're talking is this story that you did with Alex Schiffer. So what is this series that you are doing? Yeah, so I've been going back and forth and doing Q&As with um, a lot of the local beat writers uh, from The Athletic and just focusing on an individual team and and going over some of the key questions facing uh, that particular team as we head into the offseason, whenever that is. We, we, we might already be in the offseason. We don't really know. Uh, but uh, certainly we're close enough to the finish line that we can start looking at a lot of these questions. Yeah, I was – I mean, I really – thought that what you and Alex Schiffer did was really some of the best stuff that I've read so far on taking a you know really nice long view of the team and like at the initial question I think Alex asked you had to do with the head coach because obviously you know the Nets moved on from Kenny Atkinson and then the season went on pause and Sean Marks has talked about that they're not currently actively doing the search right now but of course that's going to have to happen in some point. And some of the names you bring up are, are names that, you know, we've heard, which is Ty Lue, Tom Thibodeau, Mike D'Antoni, uh, Brett Brown, which is actually I had not heard before. Um, of all the candidates, you know, that, that could kind of be out there, what, what would be the best sort of fit? Do you think knowing what we know about the team and who's on the team, who, who makes the most sense there to you? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's a little impolite to mention Brett Brown, I guess, because he's currently employed by the Sixers, but a lot of people think that they're going to part ways after the season if you talk to people in the league. So he's a guy who could be available. I think Sean Marks in his time has shown that he's pretty loyal, loyal to, uh, you know, the group with the Spurs tattoo, basically, whether, <laughs> you know, whether they they were, you know, came – came through San Antonio or came through Mike Budenholzer's tree or, uh, you know, if he's kept it within the family pretty much uh, in terms of how he hires. And certainly Jock Vaughn is one of those guys as well. So that's your first suspicion, right? Is that, is that he would go in that direction? I actually think Brett Brown's a good coach. So he's got, he's uh, getting uh, a lot of negative press right now in Philadelphia because the pieces don't, fit that well and it's been a a weird year there but uh i i do think he'd be a good candidate i think teron lu is a really interesting name because of the connections to Kyrie in particular uh from cleveland and depending on what day it is and who you talk to you can get almost diametrically opposite uh (laughs) thoughts about about how good that pairing was in cleveland and whether they could work together again in Brooklyn, so it would from a media perspective, it would certainly be the most interesting hire. Uh, so uh, that you know that that's that's another direction, and then uh, that then you get into sort of the usual suspects of the of the prominent coaching free agents. I do think I do think they're going to go for a bigger name. You're you're it's not going to be some lifelong assistant coach that you've never heard of that's that's getting this job. I think this is a uh, you know, one of the league's prominent gigs now. You have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in their prime. The time for these Brooklyn Nets is right now. I think that's why they moved on from Kenny Atkinson in the first place. So I, I do think it's going to be a quote-unquote name. Right. And I think it's it's interesting, obviously, being a Nets podcast, we interact with Nets fans all the time. And I always find it intriguing that some people are are thinking that when it's brought up that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant may be somewhat involved in the process, that their opinion may matter, they are shocked by that. You say, why would you involve players? But I would think if you were running the Nets, particularly in the current situation and current personnel, it would probably make sense to at least ask Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving what their preference may I, be. I, I, can't, I can't imagine that they wouldn't at least run it by them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that, that seems unfathomable to me. Just look at the fact that, you know, DeAndre Jordan is there on the contract he's on. And clearly those two have some kind of pull within the organization. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I would, I would expect those two to have some kind of say in, in what ends up happening. Why do you think it ultimately it just didn't work out with Kenny Atkinson? Is it, was it simply like he was a coach for a certain era of the team and that they are now in this ascendant plane and it's just sort of a fact of life that at least in the NBA, that the coach usually brought you to a certain point, isn't the guy that's going to then take you to the next point. Um, it, it does feel like there's a certain inevitability to that. Uh, I I just don't know how the dynamic was with Irving and Durant in particular, and probably more Irving because he was the one that was active at least part of the year and and playing in the games and the practices and whatnot. So that that was probably I would suspect the more determining of the two. And I I just I I just wonder. You know, it's it's a shame Kenny Atkinson didn't get at least get a chance to coach these guys because it was him build, helping build the team to this point, is which is the reason that they were able to sign Irving and Durant in the first place. So it's kind of ironic that that also 
ended up being the thing that pushed him out. I think so. Obviously, again, being a Nets podcast, I would rate the Nets job as being very attractive. But is that do you think that's the consensus somewhat within the league, considering the talent that it has on the roster? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think th- I think that will be a very attractive job, and I think Philadelphia, if it comes open, will be the other very attractive job this offseason. Most coaching jobs, when they come open, are not that attractive, right? <laughs> Usually they come open because the team did badly. Usually a team did badly because the players aren't that good. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so in most cases, the, the, there are more unattractive jobs than attractive jobs in any offseason. This is probably the most attractive job – in the league, I would say the Nets in Philadelphia are the two most attractive jobs to come around in the league since the Milwaukee job opened a couple of years ago. The whole season's been so interesting because we had this looming Kevin Durant injury rehab, which we didn't know. We believed that he wasn't going to play basketball and he's probably not going to play basketball no matter what happens at this point. But that was happening. And then Kyrie Irving's in the lineup. He's out of the lineup. He's in the lineup. Next season, you, you should have Kevin Durant and you should have Kyrie Irving. Um, and then there's also been a discussion of how the Nets are going to try to take a big swing of some kind in the trade market. First, before we even get to like who that may be, do you think that's wise, the fact that they may try to go push all their chips into the middle of the table right now as opposed to kind of letting it see how it all could work out initially? Well, I I think you're sort of doing both those things, right? I, I do think... I mean, you don't make the moves they made to this point to then say, hey, let's, you know, let's really think about 2025, though. I, I, I just I just don't think that's a mindset you can have. So, yeah, they should be all in for right now. You do wonder if there's no really big time guy available right now, if they're better off holding their powder till the trade deadline. Because then, as you say, you do get a better idea of what you have in the moment and what what needs truly need addressing and what players actually fit with Irving and Durant and which ones don't fit as well. You have a much better idea because you'll have seen it on the court for half a season. So that that would be the argument for holding your powder. But I do think by the trade deadline, you got you got to have those chips in the middle of the table somehow. Right. Because there's like all these things, the um, pressure intensifies in the NBA as we go along, go along. And the timelines for when these players are on their team you know we're watching the last dance and what scotty pippen had a seven-year contract which doesn't exist you know the, the the we look at the la clippers right now with paul george and Kawhi leonard they have a very short timeline from at least what their contracts are giving out so all these moves as opposed to you can't just wait a year and see how Kyrie and katie play together and then try to do something next season it feels like you kind of have to make it happen at least at some point within this next season, if not before it, but like because there isn't that long of a runway here. It's it's got to happen at some point if you feel like you have to make a move. I don't. There's been a lot of debate of whether you know if, if it's ever really worth moving. The names would be Karis Avert and Spencer Dinwiddie. No one really knows at this point. They may be worth holding on to. But um, for you, for you, when you look at this team. You mentioned one name in the piece with Alex Schiffer that I thought was interesting and already sort of we got news to come out that would change sort of whether the availability of this one person is, but it would be Rudy Gobert. You said you would go very hard after Rudy Gobert. What about Rudy Gobert intrigues you, at least for the Brooklyn Nets? Well, for this team, you know the ball is going to be in the hands of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant 90% of the time. So if you're trying to bring in a third guy who's also ball dominant, that's hard to work out. But if you bring in a third guy who can impact the game without needing the ball, 
then it then it really works, right? Mm-hmm. Like the lob threat with Rudy Gobert and his rim run opens things up more for Kyrie and Durant. It makes them more effective. And then obviously defensively, I mean, this Nets team right now is not amazing defensively. And, uh, you know, Dur- Durant's probably going to be a little compromised at that end coming back from, from this injury. Uh, Kyrie has never been a defensive player of the year candidate, let's say. So, mm-hmm. I mean, having an all-world defender at the rim at that end, I mean, it just makes makes this just such a difficult two-way team for opponents to deal with and Gobert can impact the game and be the exact player he's been and not have to take a step back because he doesn't need the ball to play his game this is kind of a broader question but how valuable just specifically Rudy Gobert not even the center position because it's such a weird position these days but how valuable is he the like what does he what does he offer a team how does he broaden out their profile overall because again we've seen a lot of teams just not care about the center position all that much and just use, you know, vet minimum guys or mid-level yeah. exception even. So how, why is Rudy Gobert, I guess, worth, you know, kind of pushing all your chips into the middle of the table? Uh, he is, if not the best defensive player in the league, certainly in the top two or three. Hmm. So I think right right there, I mean, there's a ton of value. And then offensively, I think he's he's underrated. I mean, he's such a high percentage finisher around the rim. He's such a threat. You just have to deal with him. So I, you know, and I think, I think as the second or third best player on a team, he's even more effective uh, when, when he can be around, when he can be around scorers like Katie and, and Kyrie and they can do their thing. So just, just an extreme, extreme high level uh, second banana to have if you're really, if you're really pursuing like a championship level team, which it, Again, that has to be the goal with where the Nets are at right now. Do you think, though, that the Nets will be aggressive? Do you think they will try to make something happen? Sean Marks and the Nets will try to make something happen? Or from what you've seen in Sean Marks in the past, maybe he won't be as aggressive with throwing everything he can to get the one extra piece that Kyrie wants. It's hard to say because they're at a different point in their time frame. I will say they were super aggressive about getting to the max room in the first place. Yes. You know, creating that room for two maxes. They, they were incredibly aggressive, even going back to, um, you know, everyone knows the deals they eventually made, but even going back to the trade deadline before last summer, I mean, they were pushing really hard to generate the room even then. So uh, I, I do think when, even as patient as the Nets have been over the past few years, when the situation calls for it, and I think it does call for it now, they've shown they can be aggressive. Two more questions for you, and then I will, I'll let you go. The first one is sort of, you know, it's maybe tough to answer, but there's been a debate of who is more valuable sort of in the league in terms of trade value. And it may be different per team, but Karis LeVert has had a very difficult career in terms of he has a lot of injuries. He ascends in play and then he gets hurt again. And then he kind of loses his role, whether it's D'Angelo Russell coming in and becoming the dominant ball handler, or he gets hurt again, Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie comes in. Or you have Spencer Dinwiddie, a guy who was a G-leaguer scrap heap who has become, you know, he wasn't an all-star, but he was a step below an all-star this season. Who do you think represents more value for teams at this point, Levert or Dinwiddie? So here, here's the thing. Levert is signed for three years after this one. Dinwiddie has one year and then he has an option year, which I presume he'll take and become an unrestricted free agent because he could probably make twice as much money in free agency. As, mm-hmm. as the 11.5 million that he'll make next year. So I think from that perspective, 
teams would probably place a little bit more value on Levert. Now he's been more injury prone um, and he's can be a little, you know, he runs, he runs hot and cold. He'll have stretches where he's amazing. He'll have stretches where he turns it over a lot, but in general, teams are hungrier for wing players than they are for guards too. And those numbers he's at 16 next year, 17 and a half the year after 18, eight, uh, 22, uh, 23. That's a reasonable amount of money for a starting wing. I do think Levert would be a guy who had, who had value if they decided to put him on the table. But if you look at the time sequence of things, the Nets almost have to cash in their Dinwiddie chips first because he's gone after next year. Yeah. That's right. And because there's been this debate about like what Spencer Dinwiddie wants to do, but like any player in the NBA, they're going to go for opportunity and money more than staying within the sort of framework that the Nets may like, right? Like he, he could potentially win a championship with the Brooklyn Nets if the Nets add a really big piece, but he also probably likely (laughs) he would. I'm I'm sure he feels some loyalty to the Nets for, you know, helping rescue his career basically. But at the, but at the same time, he's going to make a business decision for himself and, and his investors. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, do, do what's best. That's the that best way. investment you so can make I right think, now, John, you I, know, I, I think it's, I think it's a tiebreaker at the end of the day. I think if it's sure. close, then he can say, you know what, the nets are where my loyalty is. I'm going to go with that. But otherwise, uh, it's hard for him to do, especially knowing that his role could be really constrained because Kyrie Irving's there. And last question for you. So the nets may be aggressive. Who are the other teams that are going to be very aggressive? Do you think this offseason in the trade market? Because we think free agency is going to be. There's not that much Lame. excitement in free agency. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I I expect Golden State to be super aggressive. Mm. Uh, they could put uh, one of the top picks in the draft in play potentially. Uh, so they're they're definitely a team to watch. Philadelphia is potentially a team that could be very aggressive. I think they are coming from a place of disappointment right now and they don't have as many pieces to throw onto the table, but they have some stuff they can do. There'll be a really interesting team to watch. I think Miami will be very aggressive. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's three right there. Some of these other teams, obviously all the whole high profile contenders will, will try to get in on any big name that's involved in a trade, but they're not really in as much of a position asset wise and, and uh, player roster wise to do a lot of things. So I, I would say Miami, Philly, Golden State are really the three to watch. Perfect. All right. Well, John, I mean, if obviously if anyone is an NBA fan and they, of course, we want to read about the Nets, they should go to this Alex Schiffer piece that you did with him. There's so much more in it that we didn't talk about. And of course, you're going to keep doing this and you have been doing this with other teams. Just tremendous information for anyone uh, who is interested in the NBA. It's really good stuff. I appreciate you coming on today. Well, th- thank thank you so much for having me. And uh, I, I I just want to say I, I still miss East Rutherford, and I'm I'm probably one of the few people who who does. But I think you're the, the Jer- only that's person. the Jersey boy in me talking. So. <laughs> um, we will send your your regards to East Rutherford. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks for having me.